great gowns, beautiful gowns. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome to our monthly rewatch of a Sex in the City episode. We're watching a good episode this week. Yeah. A great episode. The best? I'd say it's in the top five. You guys let us know what you think. Well, I think the top five is the two LA episodes, Splat, My Mother Bored Myself, Hot Child in the City. Wow, I didn't know that this would be asked of me, so I don't know. Can we combine the LA episodes into one? So You're right, and then can we spot? combine American Girl in Paris part uh, one and one two as... into one as well? <laughs> yes, as God intended, as Daddy MPK. So yeah, we're in, we've gone out of season five, we can't take it anymore. We're back in the in the safe, warm embrace of season three. I know, I feel like I'm in my mother's womb or something. It just feels so good being here. Especially because we're post-Aiden season three. Yeah. And we're pre-Aiden season four. So we're in a real sweet spot right now. (laughs) An Aiden-free sweet spot. So this episode begins with a Carrie voiceover. uh, And she says, they say that if you've lived in New York for 10 years, you can officially call yourself a New Yorker. And I believe this episode is where I learned that. Yeah. Oh, I took, I was an adolescent. I believe I'm Jenny Breyer's age when this episode originally (laughs) aired. And I knew I wanted to go to college in New York. So I was writing that down like it was gospel. I was like, all right, at 28, I'll be officially be a New New Yorker. But wait, how long did you last? You didn't get there. Absolutely not. I was like, oh, this is awful. I'm going insane. I'm literally turning into Dustin Hoffman's Razzo Rizzo. (laughs) I made it 11 years, so I can technically call myself a New Yorker, which I love. And you know, the city never really leaves you once you've been there for that long. So Samantha has a meeting with a 13-year-old, Jenny Breyer, played by Kat Dennings, who Daddy MPK must love because he later cast her in Two Broke Girls. Oh Wait, my it's God. Two Broke Girls, right? Uh... It's not like five broke girls in a pizza place. One broke girl, one rich girl, a cupcake, a diner in Brooklyn. (laughs) She's undeniably good in this episode. Like playing a bitch in high school in a 90s movie or television show is a skill and she does it better than most. And on top of that, she's a junior hire (laughs) of all things. Oh, yeah. So... This is where Samantha's career gets slightly confusing because you almost think that she is an event planner, but she's not. This 13-year-old is hiring a PR person for a bat mitzvah. Well, yeah, she's like, I want in-style, teen people, Vanity Fair, in sync. And that's when it's like out of Samantha's hands, right? It's like, sure, I'm sure she can get someone from teen people to cover this. Rest in power. Does that still exist? No. It couldn't possibly. No. If Teen Vogue doesn't exist, Teen, teen People certainly doesn't exist. Teen Vogue does exist. It's just Online. digital only. Yeah. We'll have to check that tab on people.com. Can a PR person pull straight? I think if you have enough money, you can get any musical artist you would like. Yeah. I'm sure for a half a million dollars, InSync would happily have played a bat mitzvah. Well, that's the other confusing thing about this because Samantha's like, look, I'm not doing some little girl's birthday party. And she's basically like, well, everyone's coming. The Clintons. I love the idea of a sitting president 
then sitting president and first lady attending Jenny Breyer's bat mitzvah. But then she's like, we'll be lucky if we can swing it for under a mil. And it's like, aren't publicists like on retainer? Like they don't get like a percentage right. of the total budget of the event. Right? I, I don't know. Now that we know how many times Bill Clinton was hanging with Epstein and Epstein had a portrait of Bill Clinton in, in a blue dress in his place, I think Bill Clinton would be like, hell yeah, let's go to a 13-year-old girl's bar mitzvah. In 2022 eyes, this makes a little more sense. Totally. There is a degree of realism here. Little Jenny Breyer dominates Samantha by basically, she negs her into doing the PR for her own party. Yeah, because she's so rich. So in elementary school, my best friend, I do not know her any longer, went on to become a- Did you guys have a falling out or like what happened? Um, no, her father became a billionaire and I wasn't cool anymore to her. She would go on to be a rich kid of Instagram, quite literally. This is LA problems right here. <laughs> it is, but when we still knew each other a bit, her parents asked my dad to pick her up. This is like when we were 12. I think we had a school play or something. And my dad had not seen her in years. And she referred to everything as little. Like, how's your little job? How's your little house? <laughs> and to this day, my family... Your house friend- probably was little by comparison. <laughs> you don't have that 10-car garage. <laughs> There was something about how was your little job to a 40 plus year old man that felt very, it was bringing back memories when I was watching Jenny Breyer. Your dad's like, I can't stand this little bitch. (laughs) Uh, If I was a parent, I would talk so much shit with Tat about our kids' friends that we didn't like. It's honestly the reason for us to have children. If Um, we don't have kids at the same time that then become best friends with each other and are like little ab fab characters in elementary school, then you know what? I don't want to live through this climate apocalypse, okay? Anyway, we are at the hottest lunch trend, the hot cafeteria. Oh, you mean the oat cafeteria. Oat. (laughs) But they're not at cafeteria, the restaurant, which in my head I thought they were. But I looked at that. I was like, that's fully not cafeteria. No. They're like up in the sky somewhere. That's like Times Square or something. Yeah, it's a midtown location of, of some sort. But I think quite literally the idea is it's a cafeteria. So Carrie is in a really good outfit, I think. Top five outfits. <laughs> Top five outfit. It's very bizarre because she's wearing tie-dye pedal pushers, and then she has this colorful Chanel blouse. But then from the neck up, it's very Chicana. She has like a bandana as a headscarf, and she has bamboo door knockers that say Carrie. It's a whole ass vibe. I mean, that's the Patricia Field special right there. Yeah. But it's also kind of stonery, like well, as a as a total look, which is perfect for this episode. Foreshadowing, perhaps. I love like a rich stoner look. I feel like that's the crux of Marnie right now. Like everything looks like that. And I would say that should be yours and Tat's new look. Tat's kind of heading that way. So anyway, this is the dawn of being able to diagnose yourself on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, Miranda, an early adopter yet again of WebMD. And typing things in until you see it says you have cancer. But really, she's a tongue thruster. Which, do you really need braces for that? I think it's all to go with the the theme of the episode. So anyway, they're at cafeteria. Miranda sees a very cute guy who she won't go up to. So Carrie instead writes a note and hands it to him 
Like it's middle school, something that never happened when I was in middle school. Yeah, we need to bring that back, though. Like just giving someone your phone number or like a business card or something. Like if you're a sexy barista and you like write your number on someone's coffee, like that's cute. Yeah, I think post Me Too movement, people can't do that anymore. But yeah, do you remember when we were at the Gelson's and a guy complimented my sweater and I like ran after him in the parking lot and gave him my number? Oh yeah, I was proud of you for that. Thank you. Never heard from him, but... (laughs) Well, fuck him then. Wouldn't it be great if like four years later he's like, hi, I don't know if you remember me. (laughs) I was in a relationship at the time, but... Still got that sweater? (laughs) Yeah, so Miranda gets a number. Yeah, and the guy thinks, unlike my experience, the guy's like, she's cute. I'm going to give her a call. Give her my number. Yeah. Can you just be my middle woman handing my number to other people, please? (laughs) Sure, whatever. You know I don't give a shit. So after this, Carrie has to run some errands in St. Mark's place. She's trying to go to her shoe repair place but it's been turned into a comic book store which i understand why they use this location but that's like the most famous like long-standing comic book store in new york but it's no longer there yeah let's be honest it's gone let's be honest i didn't know that at the time there used to be a really iconic shoe repair place on saint mark's place though and the guy that worked there was the person that made all of those crazy custom platform sneakers for like club kids and ravers. Oh, wow. Yeah. East Village Shoe Repair. So yeah, I have about Carrie's outfit that this to me is Carrie at Burning Man. Yeah, it's it's totally that vibe for sure. So she comes across the comic book store owner, Wade Adams, aka Power Lad. He has his own comic. I respect Power Lad for hitting on her despite the fact that she's in this crazy outfit. You know, like a lot of guys couldn't take that. <laughs> uh, just a Burning Man look or just a Well, it's a just Chanel. a lot of look. Like I feel like your average straight man just wants like every chick to look like a 90s celebrity in a Got Milk commercial. You know, like it's just like the Levi's and the white spaghetti strap tank top. Sure. But, I mean, she's Carrie. Everyone, This is a world where everyone is attracted to Carrie Bradshaw, and that's what we love about it. She has a slightly weird line that hit me while rewatching it. Not great, which she's like, oh, I didn't know girls could like comics. It's like, okay, come on. And he's like, or no, she's like, it's some line where she says that she's a writer, and he's like, do you write comic books? And she's like, I didn't know that women could write comic books. And it's like, come on. Yeah. Gail Simone exists. It's but instead of like actually saying female comic book writers, he just starts naming female superheroes. Well, okay, did you ever read comics? I mean, this is the origin of all of the nerd shit that you care about. My origin story is that I saw a comic book shop in Sex in the City and I was like, "Hmm, what's that?" I read more comics now or graphic novels, but I will say I am that cliché person where I'm like, "I don't know where to read." Like, I don't know with all these speaking bubbles, where to go. Are you fucking serious? No. (laughs) I mean, yes, you're serious. Yeah, I'm being serious. (laughs) I find comics very difficult to read. Hmm. Hmm. Well, as you know, I love Archie. And I don't know if, like, the comics of Alison Bechdel really count, but (laughs) I definitely read those. So... She explains that she's a writer in the coolest way humanly possible, where she's like, open up your paper. I know. I loved that. Did you clock what column is featured when he opens that page? No. 
Okay, so the title is The Finance and a Loan Department, and it's about John Slattery. It's the, it's the P-Comp controller. She's still writing about him. Evidently. Jesus. Or the prop department was like, look, we created this for the end of that episode, so why don't we just reuse it? Right. Uh, sometime later, Carrie is presumably opening mail that is sent to her by the New York Star because it's a manila envelope with like a bunch of letters and stuff. And in that... Oh, yeah, cute. She gets fan mail. Yeah. Wade Adams has drawn Carrie as Wonder Woman, which is a pretty good seduction tactic, I must say. It's an incredible illustration. Like, fuck a business card. This is the best way <laughs> to give someone your number. I just draw a portrait of them? Yeah. Did you notice that Carrie's wearing a top with cherries on it, but it has clear straps, which you only see when she shifts positions? But remember, that was such a thing in the early 2000s. <laughs> oh, when tube tops had, like, detachable clear bra straps? Yeah, or evidently this halter top? Yeah. No, I remember that. They really did phase that out. They were like, your tits are fine. So, of course, she agrees to go on a date with Power Lad. This outfit is so hot. This is given like real Zoe Kravitz vibes. What, like Zoe Kravitz and Channing Tatum street style? Yeah. Both of them are kind of dressed in that way. But they go to Barcode in Times Square, which, did you ever go there? I never went. I did. Of Definitely you because did. of Sex in the City. How was it? I mean, it was, it was fine. It's like going to a David Buster's or something, you know? Oh, that's true. Is the da is David Buster still, did it survive the pandemic? What, the one on Hollywood Boulevard? I know, which we always talk about going to. I don't know. We should go see. But I was more of a Virgin Megastore person if we're talking about old Times Square. Like, oh, yeah. Did you ever go to the movie theater that was inside the Virgin Megastore in Times Square? Because that was incredible. No. So slept on. Yeah, I was a Union Square Virgin Megastore person. Yeah. And also the, the gorgeous three-story one that was here in Los Angeles at 8,000 Sunset. That is now a Trader Joe's? No, you would think that was the Trader Joe's. Uh, it, they had to carve the shop up so much. It's like part of CB2, part of CVS. Right. Part some sort of part uh, is IV that drip. Part is that movie theater where we saw the like <laughs> lesbian Orthodox Jew movie with Rachel McAdams. Disobedience. Right. This is a great first date. I miss a first date with, an a with activities. Yeah, except for then they hop on a Razor scooter. You know what? Wade was an early adopter of the scooter. I like to think that, you know, maybe he went on to found uh, the Bird Scooter Company. I don't know if he's that ambitious, if this episode is any indication, but this is where Carrie utters the line, I'm scooting in heels. At first she says it's too hot to scoot, but... <laughs> Yeah, I will say that, I mean, no one really asked me this anymore, but when I first moved back to Los Angeles, people were like, ah, the winter's got to you. And I was like, ah, no, the summer's got to me. Could not handle how hot, just I couldn't handle another summer of like boob sweat. Boob sweat makes me so irrationally angry. Yeah, it's hard. It's the humidity. It's like you literally feel assaulted by mother nature. Like you can feel her like hot breath on the back of your neck. And she's like all up in your shit. The crevices, you know? Very graphic. Non-consensually. So anyway, Wade lures Carrie. Wade takes her to a second location, which, you know, for my <laughs> true crime ladies, you never go to a second location with someone you just met. But he lures her with uh, central air. Uh-huh. And uh, somehow he has this epic Upper East Side apartment. Yeah. 
And then we learn why. It's because he lives with his parents. Yeah, which I can't really get on since I, when I moved back to L.A., I moved in with my parents. Yeah, I was about to say, sounds familiar, Lauren. But you wouldn't, like, take a date back to your parents' house. Uh, not when they were there, no. No. I- <laughs> Kathy's little ears perk up like, what? <laughs> I'm definitely going to get asked about this after she listens to the episode. I think it was so outlandish then, but... Again, watching it with 2022 eyes, you're like, eh, you know, market's tough. Yeah, but how old was he? It's hard because this man looks 42. Yeah. So it's hard to say. I think he's supposed to be a contemporary of Carrie in age. So we meet the mother. Lovely lady. Yeah, she looks like she escaped from like a Lipton tea commercial or something. Perhaps he comes from the Lipton family tea dynasty. We don't know. (laughs) She's very nice, but obviously that is jarring. Yeah, if there's a surprise parenting and you don't know about it, of course. And then it cuts to the diner the next day, and I love Samantha's response. You know, she's like, living with the parents, so not sexy. Well, I will say Commune is a great fake restaurant name. Yeah. This is Daddy Briar's latest restaurant, as Carrie notes. I love Carrie in this kiss tea. Yeah, it's cute. And uh, Samantha says that the only man she would consider fucking who still lives with his parents is Prince William. Don't know if Samantha would feel the same way today, but... Yeah, probably not. Uh, Miranda has braces. Yes, and then the reveal that Miranda got braces because that's what happens to tongue thrusters? Yeah. I wonder if they got this idea from Gwen Stefani getting braces. I don't know if what came first. (laughs) What came first? Her unforgettable appearance at the MTV Movie Awards? In the braces? Yeah. I think those were maybe even the VMAs. Mm. What a bold move, Gwen. Remember when. Yeah. I love how Samantha's like, I'm in pain just looking at you. And so is the audience, right? She speaks for all of us. Did you have braces? No. Of course not, you bitch. Did you? For four years. Oh, really? Yes. But you didn't have adult braces. That's like a whole nother level. Like, I feel like it's fine when you're a kid, but it's extra traumatic when you're older. I mean, 12 to 16 is pretty brutal, but yeah, it's better that I I guess guess blowjobs are out of the question. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, jumping ahead a little bit. So Jenny Breyer sends champagne like normal 13-year-olds. Although, if you're a fan of Gossip Girl... I guess we're supposed to understand that this is what those characters were doing at 13. Yeah, this is, they're like the proto-gossip girl Yeah, Which Samantha is beside herself that a child is able to do this because as Samantha says, do you know what I was doing when I was 13? Nothing. Well, she was working at Dairy Dairy Queen. Queen. Which, if the wonderful Kim Cattrall is not going to be brought back into the Sex and the City fold, but yet we still want to make content... Why not a prequel about young Samantha? You know, we called get young Samantha. Young it's like Samantha. young Sheldon. Her time working at Dairy Queen, her time fucking a guy to use his pool. That's another story we get at some point. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I'm totally down. So Jenny Breyer is a huge fan of Carrie and she cites her column about secret sex, which is from season one when Jenny would have been 11. She's like, secret sex? That's my life. Well, I'm sure that you were reading things that were quasi-inappropriate well, as a tween. Absolutely. I mean, you were watching Sex and the City, yeah. for one thing. 
with my mom, you know, like a normal person. We you had parental supervision. We haven't touched on the fact that kids raised in New York are, are a different fucking breed. Yeah. Like, I grew up in Los Angeles, which is another thing, but, like, doesn't even come close to kids that grew up in New York. Kids who grew up in New York are, frankly, terrifying. Yeah, they're, like, 40 by the time that they're 17. And also, a lot of girls like that that I went to high school with who were partying like they were in their 20s all were married and had kids by their mid-20s. Yeah, you just get it out of your system earlier. And then they're divorced and have a a new life by 40. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Perfect. So this is where we get the I couldn't help but wonder, which is, were Jenny and Brian and her friends dressed like 30-somethings or were we trying to look like teenagers? One of us was sending over Dom Perignon while the other was tooling around on a scooter. When you're a teenager, all you want to do is buy beer. Do you? I don't know. But once you hit 30, all you want to do is get carded. I wondered, in today's youth-obsessed culture, are the women of my generation growing into mature, responsible adults? Or are we 34 going on 13? It's not the most profound I couldn't help but wonder. I think sometimes living in New York does keep you in a bit of a delayed adolescence because you're not doing the basic life shit yourself, like doing your own laundry... Or, like, people don't cook that much. You know what I mean? In New York. Yeah. Looking at it with today's perspective, more what it is, because I am the age that Carrie is in this episode, it's more looking at teenagers and being like, oh, you're wearing the same, literally the same thing I wore when I was your age. I was so annoyed whenever I used to go to vintage stores and people would be like, oh my God, I can't believe you picked out that dress, like some 70s maxi dress or something. Like I used to wear shit like that. I had something just like that. And now I am that bitch. Yeah. Like when I was back visiting my parents recently, I went to like the frozen yogurt shop that I always used to go to after high school and the girls standing in line like because it's right by the high school I went to they just looked like me and my friends from back in the day they were wearing the same kind of jeans like the same hoodies like it was crazy it's like looking into a mirror it is and I don't like what I see (laughs) so while all this is going on Charlotte and Trey's dysfunctional sex life is as dysfunctional as ever Is this even something that exists, a hydraulic penis pump that is inserted into the penis? I don't know. I think so, yeah. Or is it just like dick pills and it's like, it works? No, Charlotte definitely wants to turn Trey into the bionic man, though. Also, is this the best way to tell Trey is just like print out a document and hide it in a book and just be like, here, Well, it's a sensitive topic and she doesn't really know how to go about it. Because she's a wasp. Yeah. But because Trey is so horrified by the idea of this very invasive surgery, he agrees to go to couples counseling. Because he goes, what other options do we have? And like the horrified wasp that they are, it's like, I guess we have to talk about our issues. It's like, what other option do we have? It's like, I don't know. You could go down on me once. (sighs) Insane. Again, the whole point of Trey was that he was supposed to be incredibly boring. But when the writers met Kyle McLaughlin, or when they cast Kyle McLaughlin, it was like, oh, he's so interesting. There's no way that he can be boring. So let's just give him dick issues. But what if Trey had a micro penis? Oh, I guess they did that already with Samantha's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, that already, yeah, that happened. <sighs> Do you and Tad have names for... <laughs> oh, fuck off. No, ew. And if you did, would you name yours Rebecca? <laughs> 
Absolutely not. I understand Trey's horror in this moment. Well, yeah, there's one thing about being emotionally vulnerable in front of a stranger. There's another thing of having to call your dick schooner. I like how the therapist is like, one client quite whimsically dubbed his anus the chocolate starfish. <laughs> and it's like, he was not the first person to think of that. Did he pass by Virgin Megastore and see Limp Bizkit's latest album? <laughs> I did like Trey's line when they're trying to, it's not even role play, just talk through their issues. Uh, when they're in bed and the, the, he goes, where are you? And he goes, I'm in hell. And then he's like, I'm a respected surgeon. It's like, I just assume that respected surgeons are freaks because they're coming like face to face with death all the time. Right. But it was really fun to hear Charlotte's sexual fantasy, which was as deranged as you could imagine. I imagine this is also what Britney Spears's. <laughs> biggest fantasy would be which is being a fairy princess on a unicorn and having your gossamer petticoats torn away by Kyle McLaughlin there's a lot of things going on because there's like a little bit of like antebellum south with like the petticoats but then there's like a fantasy element with the unicorn yeah it's a lot of as expected colliding references it's a Disney adult vibe do you think that's why Disney is is suffering right now they're not really catering to the adult, capital A, adult Disney audience. I still maintain that all Disney adults would have some sort of depraved, other depraved fetish, if not for the fact that they'd found Disney. <laughs> so Miranda goes on a date with the guy from Cafeteria. He is a editor. In this scene, I really came to realize that he sounds exactly like Steve. I don't know if it's like a slight lift. He does, his voice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, did you guys grow up in the same building in Queens? Like, what's going on here? He looks a little bit like Donnie Wahlberg in The Sixth Sense and sounds a bit like Steve. Yeah. So I don't know how Miranda couldn't figure out that, like, maybe Olive Tapenade, not a great choice for the re recent brace face. Yeah, it is grotesque. Well, purposely so. Yeah, yeah. It's very funny, though. This scene is funny. And this is where we get the line that, uh, what is it like to kiss in those things? Which is the line I was like, oh my God, he sounds exactly like Steve. Yeah. I think she has a fetish. Then he's like, I guess a blowjob is out of the question, which is, I, you can't say that shit anymore, as funny as that is. It's a good joke. But also, like, I don't think he meant it as a joke. I don't know. So I'm being the devil's advocate with this guy. I think he's not a creep. You think he's a better alternative to Steve? You want to see that alternative storyline? I mean, no. I, I just want 10 more seasons of Miranda and Che Diaz. So the next scene is a walk and talk with Carrie and Miranda. We get Carrie in that shirt dress that was much requested on the account that forever we couldn't figure out what episode it was in. Because it's such a brief scene in this episode. Oh, it's not a shirt dress. It's just like a, a mini dress with like a like a realistic aquarium print, like a photo print of an aquarium. Right, right, right. Which is a 90s trend that was very much a thing. Like I remember I had a clear plastic umbrella that had goldfish on it. Goldfish and platform sandals were a real, had a stronghold on the 90s. And it's back now. I went into the Heaven store recently and they had a little goldfish mini dress. It's like very quintessentially of the period, but Miranda's outfit might be even more so. <laughs> and that's something I haven't seen anyone bring back, which is basically like in the 90s, you would like, you'd wear a wife beater, you'd wear a bunch of prayer beads, and then you'd wear some like sacky, like silk or linen pants that you'd get like from an import store of some kind. 
It's a real Lilith Fair post ray of light niche fashion movement that you're right. No, no Gen Z person has been brave enough to bring back. Yeah, it's also giving like Tibetan freedom concert vibes. Right. I think it's the 190s trend that can't be thoughtified, and that's why Gen Z hasn't touched it. Yeah. It's cute, though. I can see Kendall Jenner rocking that. The row next season is just all Lilith Fair adjacent looks. So Carrie has the line, he didn't want you to get your hardware too close to his software. Which, okay, it's a great pun, I guess. But also, like, mm, if it's soft, that's not going great, I just have to say. Ew. Well, you know, I have to let you know these things. So Miranda also admits that she would never date a guy with braces. Shallow. But also impractical, since she also has braces. Yeah, would they just get stuck to each other? I think so. Or that's at least what 80s teen movies led me to believe. Carrie has not broken up with Wade, despite Samantha telling her to. She's instead gone full force into loving a guy living with his parents because you get lemonade. Yeah, and it's like having servants that you don't have to pay, as, as Carrie says. Not great. Not a great line. I have a question for you. Do you think Carrie and Wade ever had sex? Because then they're at her apartment about to have sex. And the one downside of dating a guy who lives with his parents, I guess, is that they have your phone number and are able to call in very inopportune moments. Right. So Wade's mom interrupts their foreplay, essentially. I think they did have sex. We just didn't see it. Okay. Fair enough. Speaking of sex, then Charlotte walks in on Trey jerking off to Jugs. Such a funny scene. What do you think was more embarrassing for Kyle McLaughlin? The sex scene in Showgirls or having to pretend like he's jerking off to Jugs? I think the sex scene in Showgirls because in Sex and the City, the comedic value was intentional. Whereas in Showgirls, it was just like, why are you guys under that waterfall? <laughs> Elizabeth Berkeley is literally getting waterboarded while having <laughs> sex with this guy. I don't know, but there's something about, there's nothing sexual despite how uh, plump Kyle McLaughlin's backside is of just seeing a guy's clenching ass cheeks. <laughs> this is a very unhelpful couples therapist. He's like trying to look on the bright side. I guess this is how dire their marriage is. He's like, well, you know. This uh- is a good thing. And she's like, how is this a good thing? He's like, well, at least we know he's not gay. Which obviously must have been in his notes during their initial intake. Like, potentially gay? If I was a therapist and looked at Trey, I was like, yeah, could could be a repressed homosexual. You never know. Yeah. Recently, what popped up on TikTok for me was Dan Savage talking about the Savage Love podcast and basically what 97% of the calls are that he gets each week, which is... Someone who's like, I love my partner. They're my best friend. We've been together forever. But I don't want to fuck them. Yeah. And his point is, find someone you want to (laughs) fuck first. And if all the other stuff falls into place, then that's the one for you. Well, that's why you have to have sex with someone on the first date, which is something that we suggested in our, our book. We should all be Miranda's available wherever books are sold. Because if you want to have sex with them, it's like, why wait? God forbid you actually bond with them. And then have bad sex with them. And then like you can't just break up with them because it's too obvious. Yeah. You should like them enough that you find you have sexual chemistry with them and would want to sleep with them. We should, you know, if you don't want to sleep with them, don't. Yeah. But 
If you do, we think you should do that first, then figure out if you have shit in common. Because if you have shit in common and then you have bad sex, then you have Charlotte and Trey's marriage. Also, the way that someone treats you in the immediate aftermath of, you know, a one night stand or the first time you sleep with someone is such a good litmus test for a person's character. It's like, are they walking you out the door? Or are they just like giving you breakfast? Like, what are they doing? Are they taking care of you? Are they John Hamm at the beginning of Bridesmaids and go, ooh, this is awkward. I really want you to leave right now. Yeah, it's really easy to gauge where someone's at. I thought this was very telling that in Carrie's voiceover, the theme throughout the episode, and I think that's what makes it so strong, is in rewatching these episodes, some of the themes are not as well weaved throughout all of the characters. This episode is really wonderful. Does that this episode does that really wonderfully? Although Charlotte has the most like specious relationship with the theme. Yeah. Charlotte's I, not really on theme. No, but Carrie goes, Charlotte wanted it to be back when you're 13 and all you needed was some handholding. That's how she sort of connected in the right. like wanting to be 13 again plot. But it's like, I guess that's fine. But also the whole reason, like actually if all Charlotte needed was handholding, her marriage with Trey would, she'd still be married to Trey. Yeah. So then we go to Miranda in a business meeting, which was lovely to see because we've spoken about that we never really see her at work. We see her at the office. Yeah. But her doing lawyer things. It feels exotic. I feel like being a kid on like take your daughter to work day or something. Every time we get a little glimpse into what she actually does. We're like, you go, mom. Yeah. And then these two assholes are laughing at her. So she calls them out as she rightly should. And then learns that they were laughing at a typo in this thing, which I don't believe. <laughs> I believe they were laughing at her. No, it's, uh, I think they were laughing at the typo. This is so embarrassing to like project an insecurity on a colleague like that. Like surely you just have to quit your job at that point. (laughs) Out of embarrassment? Yeah. I would just, uh, that would kill me if I did that. That would eat me up. I'd I'd be thinking about it years later. Yeah. Honestly, if it ended just like that. They cited that as something Miranda couldn't get over and that's why she had to leave Steve. I think we would be we would understand that more. We'd be like, you know what? Absolutely. So the day has come. It's Jenny Breyer's what is this, her sweet sixteen or no, it's a no, bot, she's thirteen. It's a, it's a bot mitzvah. Oh, it's a bot mitzvah. Okay. Sorry, we didn't really see any bot mitzvah elements of it though. You know why? Too much money. Yeah. Especially the type of party Jen- Jenny Breyer would have. <laughs> it's true. In sync was not tech avail. Samantha is working the door in an insane statement necklace. Very quintessential Samantha look. Yeah. I felt very much for that girl. One, who's in an outfit I definitely did wear of just that white shirt, like white cotton shirt with the bell sleeves and then a spaghetti straps top over it. Oh, I wore that outfit the other day, basically. Oh, so cute. Yeah, I wore a little baby tee with like a big poofy like spaghetti strap dress. Yeah. I mean, that is that is a little millennial teenage girl's villain origin story <laughs> to be at 13, not led into a bat mitzvah and struggling behind the velvet robes. Oh, no. Also to be rejected by such a glamorous woman as Samantha. Ugh. Again, nightmares. I'd be in therapy for years. Never be able to get over it. And then Jenny Breyer and her two friends come out of the stretch limo. Ooh, remember when stretch limos were the height of luxury? Aren't they still? I still love a stretch limo. Oh, that's right. Leah did get us a stretch limo one New Year's Eve. And it was so fun. 
And she wanted to get one with a hot tub in the back. And I was like, no, we'll do it next New Year's Eve. And then 2020 happened. And I regret that. We should have gone for the one with the hot tub in the back. But I'm glad we got that limo experience in right under the wire before the pandemic. Right. It is really funny in this episode, the way that they dress these teenage girls. And it's satirizing how the cast is dressed, which is kind of fun because it's creating this world where everyone just has like giant rosettes and spangly little animal print mini dresses. It was hard to absorb then and equally now because I was the age that Jenny Breyer is watching the episode. And I, of course, wanted to be Carrie Bradshaw and be exactly like them that it's hard it's hard to tell it's like well is this some did i want this because it was sex in the city or do we always want to be older is this a commentary on girls in new york or just like the madness that sex in the city unleashed which i love sarah jessica parker's rebranding of this is like the show was about friendship and that's what like that's what i love seeing about like girls and their girlfriends and it's like Okay, that's true, but also, like, it pushed us all to be consumerist whores <laughs> as well. Yeah. That's also a big part of it. Uh, well, at least Cynthia admits that. Yes. Cynthia Cynthia knows what she's done. <laughs> and then but not what she's done, but what she's been complicit <laughs> in. And you know what? We're happy for her. Go get another $10 million for season two. She's like, I've literally inadvertently sold like 10 million Magnolia cupcakes. Uh, so Samantha catches Jenny Breyer and her friends, who are essentially just three Samanthas, talking about how they're talking about in sync, how three of them are straight and two of them are gay. And the other one goes, I'd fuck them and I'd fuck their gay boyfriend. That's the best line in the episode. Ladies, aren't you a little young to speak like that? It's like, again, I don't know how to take this episode because it's like, no, all I aspired was to speak like this. And and you, audience, are understanding the like fallout of wanting to be like <laughs> Samantha Jones at 13. Totally. She's like, I've been giving blowjobs since I was 12. And this girl does look like she could be the star of an affluent version of Kids. <laughs> and I would watch that movie. <laughs> Isn't that just euphoria? Yeah, but this is like the New York version. And like, instead of hanging out at Tompkins Square Park, they hang out at Jeffrey or something. Yeah. May it rest in peace. Do you remember the MTV reality show with Tommy Hilfiger's daughter and her Rich friend? Rich Girls? Yeah, I think it was yeah, called Rich yeah, Girls. Yeah, of course. Which has been scrubbed from the internet. I think Tommy <laughs> Hilfiger paid for those masters. The only way you can see it is the blessed people who recorded it on VHS tapes and then put it on YouTube. It wasn't that good, though. No, it wasn't that good. Like, why it, would anyone ever want to watch it again? I just have this core memory of them going to some fancy restaurant in the Hamptons and her not wanting the food for some reason, but then her crying and like making sure the waiter was like, please give this to someone who needs it, like animals or something. It's like, lady, they're going to eat it once you're gone. Don't worry about it. You're going to throw it in the dumpster out back. So Carrie is just a, a vinyl fetishist, I'm coming to realize. Between this episode and then just like that, she loves a man who loves his vinyl. Yeah. She loves sticks. I mean, all right. Sure. Why not? So Wade introduces that he's got some weed and a, a bong made from a Coke bottle. Cute. 
That is a throwback. I couldn't help but notice that Wade has the incredibly rare Louis Vuitton Supreme (laughs) sticker on his dresser. The original bootleg one that I believe Supreme got sued over years, of course, before they officially collaborated. Wow. Anyway, the little things. But I also noticed I'm like, he has a poster from a recent-ish at the time Pretenders album, and that seems like an (laughs) odd choice. These are just the production designers run amok. Yeah. I think some cool PA probably put the Supreme sticker. You know what that reminds me of? How in Scream, Sydney has an Indigo Girls poster right. in her room. It's like, would she listen to the Indigo Girls? I think not. She seems like more of a Savage Garden fan, if you know what I mean. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, someone with just kind of like generic taste that isn't. Oh. I can't see her being into super alternative music, but I can't see her being into folk music i thought you meant like she was secretly a lesbian and that was her like inroads no. like just an, a band with uh, androgynous australians it's like a safe thing to have a crush on god sydney prescott should be a lesbian but that's a whole other conversation yeah it would have made her make a lot more sense anyway i don't know why we're not talking about like this is the culmination of the entire episode that i think is what everyone remembers which is carrie smoking weed and she's very very good at playing stoned sarah jessica parker oh okay i thought you meant she was really good at taking that bong hit no she's just a very convincing actress one of our best and it was the same when they smoked the joint on the street in the post-it stick twice episode is that the one what it's called Yes, the post-it always rings twice. Is Carrie a- sticks twice? Oh. It's not ringing twice. That's the the postman always rings twice. Sorry, my mind went to how Carrie should have been the secret stoner, not Miranda. In and just like that, did Miranda? Oh yeah, Miranda did smoke weed. I forgot about that. God, so much has happened. She doesn't smoke weed by herself though. She only does it in shotgun form. <laughs> Or in front of her child. So you know how stoned they are because they each have a bucket of KFC. And they're throwing the chicken at each other. And and some of the chicken goes over the railing. And they look down and, oh shit, Wade's mother is coming back. How does Wade never know when his parents are coming home? I don't know. And then he admits that this is is not a one-time thing for him because, you know, if his parents ever catch him smoking weed again, they're going to make him sleep at a cot in the comic book shop, which I say maybe they should make him sleep (laughs) in a cot in the comic book shop. Also, that's a great location. Like, could be worse. Yeah. So the mom comes in. Carrie is so stoned that she's being of no help. And that's when Wade says, fuck the fucking chicken wigs. Where'd we put the pot? Everyone's calling it pot and not weed, and I don't know if that's a 90s thing. I feel like now we say weed more. I think we still say both. I don't know. Is that marijuana I smelled? So funny. And then, of course, Wade famously throws Carrie under the bus. This fucking fuck boy. What did he think she was going to do? I mean, you really only have one option. Yeah in this situation and it's to go yeah that is my weed and i'll be taking it when i leave because he establishes in the previous scene that it's very expensive yeah canadian weed good for her i think this is one of carrie's best moments in the entire series it has everything that we love from a carrie bradshaw moment throughout the series that we rarely get all put together which is carrie getting embarrassed Carrie getting pie on her face, and then Carrie winning in the situation, like coming out on top. 
and outsmarting the villain. I mean, is it that difficult to outsmart a fuckboy? I ask. It's great. It's very satisfying. And then Hot Child in the City plays. plays. While Miranda, Samantha, and Carrie. Samantha, as you would expect, seems to be an excellent joint roller. Yeah. Which I have no doubt. I did question that they're drinking Rolling Rock, which would not be my choice of like bodega beers. I don't hate a Rolling Rock. I'm a I'm a Miller High Life girl because, you know, champagne and beers. But I don't think they had Miller High Life back then. What are you talking about? I don't think they did. When do you think Miller High Life came into existence? <sighs> maybe maybe it's like they redesigned Miller High Life or something. I don't think it was always around. Miller High Life, a Pilsner style beer introduced in 1903. <laughs> <laughs> what Chelsea? <laughs> okay, hold on. Miller High Life 90s packaging. Oh, yeah, it was not as cute. They really leaned into the whole champagne of beers thing oh. with the redesign. Oh, you mean aesthetically you wouldn't have picked that beer in the year 2000 because it didn't look like the Miller High Life of our college years. Yeah. I'm a Corona girl myself. Well, I mean, that's... I'll also do a Blue Moon, which is pretty gross of me, but I kind of fuck with it. Blue Moon's not gross. Blue Moon is for people that don't like to drink beer like me. Yeah, but I feel like Blue Moon has to have like a higher sugar content than your average. Like a, drinking a Blue Moon has to be like drinking a margarita at TJ Fridays or something. Anyway, I love an episode where they all hang out at Carrie's apartment doing something, whether they're watching like the gay porn or drinking champagne and screaming, we have it all. Like, I love it. I mean, both those things were at Samantha's apartment, but yes, hanging out <laughs> in one of their places feels more realistic to the life in New York we had. Yeah. You know, if they were smoking weed and drinking Blue Moon and watching old SVU and Criminal Mind episodes and doing arts and crafts on the living room floor, that would more resemble <laughs> days that we've had together in New York. Yeah. Anyway, I think it goes without saying that this is a 10 Manolo episode. 10 patent leather Mary Jane Manolos. Yes. It really is uplifting. <laughs> do you feel uplifted? I do. Do you think that they should bring Jenny Breyer back for And Just Like That season two? I would love that. Although in the, in the scheme of guest stars, I would love an episode where they bring Amelita back, but it's like a vacation episode. Right. Where it's like she's married a billionaire at that point. She finally secured that bag. So they just like go on the yacht for a weekend yeah. or something. To be fair, they could have brought Amelita back at the jewelry auction house scene in the first film. Yeah. That woman who gives the backstory of the auction could easily have been Amelita. It was so nice seeing her on Hacks. I just want more of her now that I've seen her again. What would Jenny Breyer be? Jenny Breyer would have like a vanity jewelry line or something. Yeah, or be some lifestyle blogger or have written or had a ghostwriter write a memoir about her life of like flaming out in her early 20s. And now she's like some how she cured her depression with a keto diet or something and like hawking a, a lifestyle. Yeah, I can see that. And also a jewelry line. Anyway, we hope Jenny Pryor comes back. Yeah. Love Kat Dennings. Love this episode. Love that she's married to Andrew WK now. Random. In my mind, Jenny Breyer's also married to Andrew W.K., oddly enough. 
All right. This has been fun. This has been great. Where do we go from here? Do we do another high Manolo? Do we do a medium Manolo? Do we venture to do Sex in the Country season four? So you want to go low. Is it a low Manolo episode? Everyone thinks it is. Yeah, everyone thinks it is, but I remember not having an issue with it. Sure, let's do that. All right, guys, next month, Sex in the Country. Bye. Bye. Bye.